Uh, much like the sexually transmitted disease I got at a Renaissance fair after I told a beer wench that we couldn't use condoms because they hadn't been invented yet, this podcast contains adult themes. Welcome to an episode of Internet Explorer, a podcast brought to you by BuzzFeed. I'm Ryan Broderick. I'm Katie Natopoulos. How you doing, Ryan? How you doing? Talk to me, Ryan. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. This week, we've got kind of an interesting thing to talk about. If you're ever on a little website called Twitter.com. I know that website. I've been on that website before. I saw some things I didn't like. Yeah, mainly journalists talking to each other, which is my least favorite thing in the world. It's funny, I feel like the word, like, journalist should be someone who writes in, like, their journal, like a diarist, you know? Yeah. Like, it should just be, like, like a live journal thing. In England, being a diarist is a thing for a newspaper. Really? What is that like? Like, what do you do? You're just like, dear evening standard, sorry I haven't written in so long, life's been a little crazy. My husband left for war and he hasn't returned yet. Um, <laughs> no, a diarist is some sort of columnist kind of dealy. Ryan, did you ever have a diary? I briefly had a journal-y thing in like my first year of college and I cannot bring myself to look at it. Like you would actually like, write it down like pen and paper? Yeah, because I just like moved to New York and I was like, I'm going to start a journal. And I I looked at it once, like a year ago, and I was so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. It was super emo. I think I had various attempts at journals when I was like a kid. Like I had, I remember I had like a little diary with a lock on it when I was like, I think in first grade. I know because I recently, I was I was back home going through my parents' like stuff. I found it, and it was like, dear diary, like I'm really annoyed at Rob in class today. Like, and I know that this must have been first grade because Rob was in my first grade class, and then he was held back wow. because he wasn't very smart, and so he wouldn't have been in second grade. And then he was my boyfriend senior year of college. I mean, of high school. Sorry. Wow, that's a that was a roller coaster ride of an anecdote. Yeah, it really was. Well, that was what was funny as I was reading. It, I was like, oh my god, that's funny that like here is literally my first diary entry ever is like writing like weirdly about this guy. Also, it was like I had some gossip about my cat. <laughs> so I, I was like, dear diary. <laughs> I, I have a theory that my cat, Nellie, like, I keep noticing the neighbor's cat is always hanging around. I think the neighbor's cat has a crush on my cat. Wow. Yeah, I was I was, I was was up on the neighborhood gossip. You were a reporter even at that young age. Yeah, and my handwriting was approximately as bad as it is today. I've seen your handwriting. It's, it's insane. It's terrible. It's like you have a neurological disorder. <laughs> it really is. So we're going to do something we haven't done in a little while, uh, which is to have a word of the day quiz with our producer, Julia Furlan. Julia. Hi, Julia. Hi, guys. It's 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 nice to be here. It's, oh. nice. <laughs> it's nice for you to be here, too, considering it's your job and you have to be and you're being paid to be here. Thanks. Thanks yeah. for showing up. It must be pretty nice for you to get out off your high horse and come down and talk to the commoners. Yeah. We've got a, we've got a good word for you today. Are you ready for your word? You know. Yeah, I'm okay. okay I'm ready. Word time. You you ask her the word. I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna pull up the exact definition because I want to get this exactly oh right. God, I'm really afraid of this one. All right, ready. The word yeah. of the day is jankum. Okay. Do you know what jankum. this means? First of all, I don't know what it means, but I think that it is a sex fluid. Uh, actually, not really. 
Oh God! What if Jankum is like a mixture of what? What? We should give you no, a hint. No, no. Okay. Let, let her, let okay. her finish. No, no. Wait. Let her finish what she was just saying. I'm really grossed out by what I'm about to say. I, say I, I don't want to say it. I'm say excited it. for you to say this. <laughs> I'm excited for you to debase yourself by having to oh. say things that you think that we would say. Say the words. Is Jankum um, the result of lube and bodily fluids together uh, no. that oh. stays no. inside? So, Julia, um, Jenkum is actually an inhalant and a hallucinogen created from fermented oh, no. pee and poop. Pee, pee, poop, poop, pee, pee, poop, um, pee, pee, poop, pee, pee, poop, pee, pee, poop. I mean, what's so gross to me about this is that, like, like, open sewage is a real thing to get high on. Jenkum is like a pretty old internet hoax from 2007, and a user named Pickwick on an internet forum called Totsi, T-O-T-S-E, convinced the Collier County, Florida Sheriff's Department that teenagers were making Jenkum, <laughs> a Zambian street drug made from pee and poop, oh. and using it uh, to get high. <laughs> and then uh, a couple months later, the DEA basically had to come out and say- Like, teens aren't doing Jenkum. That's not a real thing. T- teens aren't huffing <laughs> their own pee and poop oh. in the United oh. States. Right. So Jenkum is like this um, legendary internet hoax. Like, it technically like is a real thing, but like not really as it was- purported to be in use and mm-hmm. it's oh my god oh i'm sorry i'm just like i'm familiarizing myself with jenkum right now and there's a quote from a <laughs> DA agent <laughs> so i guess like it got so bad because like like <laughs> like people were picking up like the jenkum like the jenkum danger and like the jenkum fear and the da released a, a quote that described Jankum as dangerous, bad, and stupid. <laughs> like the official DA, the official DA statement on Jankum was it is dangerous, bad, and stupid. I Amazing. think that's like the official designation of this podcast. I was gonna say, I, if I were a DA agent and I had to describe this podcast, um, those are the three things that I would say. God, I hope no DA agents listen to this podcast. Oh my god! Oh my god! A TV station in Indiana advised parents to wait up for their children at night and not let your kids go to bed until you've smelled oh. their breath to make sure it didn't <laughs> smell oh like pee God. and poop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know what I'm high on right now? Laughter among friends. Oh. It was really great. Just sharing, like, a fun laugh with friends. Oh, you don't have to have pee and poop to have a good time. <laughs> if you're like me, you can get high on life. The real Jenkum is actually inside of our hearts all along. Yeah. Um, that's the real Jenkum we're getting high on. So thank you, Julia. Thank you so much. All right, Julia. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, you lost the game again. Oh, of course. Um, and now it's time for you to go away. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye forever. Uh, uh, we're going to do a little segment called BT Dubs, but it's a special one. I actually went out into the world. You? Yeah. I'm sorry to the world. I know. I rolled my rascal scooter right down the stairs of my apartment and out the door I went. <laughs> so on Saturday, I went out to a protest surrounding the current refugee crisis in Europe. And if you've been following it at all, the internet has had like a really interesting effect on it because I think more than ever... I've just seen like so much discussion about like refugees and migrants and then compounded with the now viral photo of the the Syrian boy on the beach. The internet has just played like an insane role in this. So I went out into the streets of London and talked to real human beings um, about 
what the internet's kind of like done with it. So uh, take it away, me in the past. Thanks, Future Ryan. I'm currently marching from Oxford Street to Parliament with the protesters involved with the Refugees Welcome March. Um, a couple thousand people have gathered in London today to show their support for asylum seekers and refugees who would like to come to Britain. I'm asking people today about what effect they think the now viral image of the little Syrian boy who drowned on his way to Greece had on the way the average person understands the refugee crisis in Europe. And more importantly, does that sort of outpouring of emotion and support lead to lasting change or does it turn a really huge tragedy into just another meme? I think these images are essential to raise consciousness. That poor little boy and the strong emotional reaction, I think probably is, is a sign of people's compassion. That we are lazy, we, are, we understand simple, simple signs, and the internet gives us that. It, it, it cuts through all the rubbish and says, okay, this is what's happening. I think it, it promoted more discussion and people were more interested, which is always a good thing. There was always a large amount of people who would have who would felt, felt the same way they do now. I don't think one picture really changed it. But of course this has been building for quite some time. The, the reports of people dying in all sorts of very terrible ways are not new. So I think that moment sort of captured a mood and urged people to take action. But probably a lot of that groundswell was already in existence before the image was published. Visually, people can see what's happening, so it's, it's not just verbal, it's not just something written in a paper, they can actually see what's happening. It's just letting less people die every day, because every day they are dying, and most of them is our family and friends. It just has to make people aware that there are people suffering out there. That's all, that's all it needs. For now, we just want people to be aware, okay, that there are, that there are people that are in need of our help, okay, and we are in a position to help. And if it means that, that, that we publicize this, we forwarded this on, we share images, images like this, then why not? And that's what we should do. So yes, I think that image did trigger. It was a catalyst of, of really building people to take action, but I, I think that sentiment was, was there, it was waiting, if you like, to explode in the way that it has. But I do think that there's, there are both ends of the extreme, not just pure emotional positive response, also negative. But actually we have to really cough up and, and, and make some resources available at ground level when people are living in our streets. And you can see by the rate at which petitions were suddenly exploding all over the place, hundreds of thousands of people. It will help, yes, of course, we have hope that it will help. Just for people listening to this, you are holding a, a sign with the now viral image of Island on the beach. Yeah, I, I'm holding it because it's a symbol. I've got my son here because I, I understand what, 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 what it, it must feel for that parent, for, for, for the parents of that kid. Okay, they, they, came, they, they, they went for a better life. They were going for a better life and instead, tragedy. People need to be reminded that uh, no man is an island and uh, every time the bell tolls, it tolls for you. <laughs> Twitter. You probably are aware of, um, I'm trying to think of 
like how to describe this. Basically, the Jenkum of the internet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it is the Jenkum of the internet. Not in the sense that they're a hoax, but I guess in a weird way they almost are because they're fake-ish, almost. But they're just they're basically the equivalent of pee and poop. Are these like parody accounts that? They'll have millions or hundreds of thousands of followers. They tweet out like jokes that they steal from other people. Um, they and then they monetize them to run ads against them or whatnot. And they're always sort of like sometimes they're sexist, sometimes they're racist. They're just pretty bad. <laughs> and things are changing for them right now. Yeah. So in a weird way, my beat last year became parody accounts on Twitter because of a little kid named Alex who was working at Target. Mm-hmm. Basically what happened was this kid, Alex, goes viral on Twitter. He becomes like the most famous cute boy in the world. And a guy named Dil Domine Jacob Leonaris. What a name. I know, right? Working for a company called Breaker without an E. So it's B-R-E-A-K-R. Went on LinkedIn, of course, and claimed that he did it. He made... Alex go viral. But it wasn't him. It was it was actually like a teenage girl with a couple hundred followers who just took the picture herself, right? Sort of. So the, the, the first girl who did it, she found the photo and she put it on Twitter. But it was actually a network of parody accounts that made it happen. and Well, that made it popular, right? Sort of. So I wanted to see how this works. So this kid, Cameron Asa... He messaged me like that night, everything's going down, and he goes, I've got proof that we made Alex from Target go viral. And I was like, Well, that's pretty fucking ballsy. All right, kid, like, send me what you got. And I wrote a piece called Meet the Network of Guys Making Thousands of Dollars Tweeting as Common White Girls. And what I discovered was that there's a network of, I don't know, like a handful of like college dudes and like older who basically make DIY versions of uh, like, uh, nine gag sites and they just like rip stuff and then they sell ad space on their Twitter feeds and they found Alex's photo on this girl's Twitter account who her in herself had, had found the photo somewhere and this network decided that they were all going to try to retweet it at the same time to a collected like 8 million people on Twitter all at once and just blew the fuck out of this kid. Like, I mean, it, you know, it was immediate. Where were you when Alex and Target went viral, Katie? Actually, I don't remember. I don't know. I feel like it happened at night, and I feel like I like wasn't on the internet that night. And then the next day, I was like, what the hell happened? JFK, I left you for three hours, internet. Pearl Harbor, Twin yeah. Towers, Alex from Target, Nicki Minaj saying what's good to Miley Cyrus. Like, that's the shit that defines a nation. Exactly. So... Through learning more and more about this, and actually with my move over to the UK, I got really curious about like what else is out there. And it turns out uh, a writer for the UK discovered a, a group called The Social Chain, which in a British twist is an incorporated network of parody accounts. Okay, what does that mean? They have an office in Manchester, and they are a bunch of kids who literally find already existing jokes and style uh, tweets and things and make their own versions and try to just, like devour smaller Twitter accounts. And then in France, there's a team of incredibly aggressive teenagers that are doing this. So uh, basically all of these kids all figured out all at once that if they got big enough Twitter followings by churning out fake, stolen, unsourced, just amorphous internet periphery, they could turn that into a place to sell ad space to like um, trailers for movies or apps or clicks of any sort of kind. The thing that is incredibly frustrating about them 
to a lot of people is that they're like stealing jokes, right? Like that's kind of the exactly. big issue. Um, what like and you'll see because sometimes they'll have a tweet that will be really popular and get a lot of retweets and faves, and if you like literally just copy and paste it and search for it, you will find someone else who has tweeted it a week or a couple months earlier or something. And that's especially really frustrating for people who are trying to use Twitter as a platform to, you know, they're maybe a comedian or a writer and they're sort of workshopping material or they're trying to get noticed by uh, other people for their comedy or their humor or their writing. Um, To have it basically just these large accounts 100% 100% just copy and paste them and put them on their own accounts. I would I would say probably the most well-known of the people doing that who kind of like they went I, I think this guy is interesting because he went beyond people like your boy Bill Nye or tweet like a girl or common white girl which are all accounts on Twitter. Uh-huh. This guy Josh the fat Jew Ostrowski. Yeah so he is really popular on Instagram and he, all his Instagrams are basically screenshotting people's tweets that were really good joke tweets that involved like a photo. So like a funny photo with a caption, it's a screenshot of that. And then he posted on Instagram and he crops out the person who actually like made the tweet. And it's really a hugely popular account. And as if he had been doing this for a long time. I mean, he's also sort of been around, like, trying to do, like, comedy videos and, like, stuff like that. He's, like, one of those dudes that just, like, shows up in, like, shitty sponsored van shoes, like, <laughs> commercials and, like, pees in an avocado. And it's, like, oh, fucking punk rock. He's, like, that kind of guy. And then all of a sudden, like, doing this, like, Instagram where he was just posting existing jokes really took off. And, like, I I understand why people liked it. Like... My little sister loved him. Yeah, like, it's a thing where you get a bunch of jokes in your Instagram feed, and why wouldn't you like that? Why wouldn't anyone like it? And it was very popular. Well, my sister, she's like a muggle. Like, she doesn't use the internet. And she loved the fat Jew because she was like, I don't want to spend time on the internet. I just want to see what everyone's talking about. I don't really care about where it came from or who made it because it... They they should, it's almost like the, I think it's like an expectation, like the internet should be more like television where it's like, why would I care where something came from unless they could work hard enough to deliver it to me? Right. And I think for a lot of people, like they just want to go on Instagram and see a, like a really funny joke mixed in with their pictures of their friends. And they don't want to spend hours on Twitter combing through a bunch of crap to find right. the best joke. So like, I understand why it was popular, but it's just like wrong you know yeah. and eventually a, a little while ago maybe a month a couple of weeks ago uh people really started putting their foot down the catalyst was uh, a report that came out that he had been signed to caa which is a talent agency and that he was possibly connected to a comedy central project and i think that's when all the comedians that he'd been ripping off for so long were just like fuck this there's no yeah. way that you're just going to steal our shit and then get a comedy central deal a couple comedians complained very vocally on Twitter and on Facebook that he had stolen their joke. And it sort of snowballed, and all these people who had been sort of mildly irked at him for a while for doing this, all of a sudden it was like, this is just, this guy's got to stop. And um, it came out that his the Comedy Central deal had fallen through, and it people took this as this sort of victory of like, ah, we... We showed them we got his deal revoked, but it turned out actually like 
he had made a pilot and they had passed and it happened like a couple weeks earlier. <laughs> like it wasn't even related. But it, you know, I think that it made people think a lot about like at what point do we give up caring about people who made stuff versus like I just want to scroll on my Instagram feed and see a joke. And like I think the consensus among most people was that the fat Jew is being awful and it is bad. And right. I agree. But- I mean, I agree that, I mean, I think the fat Jew is, he's like a kind of figure that pops up on the internet like every like five or so years when the internet like shifts. And I feel like every time like the tectonic plates of the internet shift, some fucking opportunistic weirdo like becomes everyone's like topic of the day because he like jumped on it really fast. Yeah. What is interesting about the fallout though. um, So Cameron Asa DM me recently. And Cameron Asa, he's, one of the Twitter parody account guys. Yeah. He was the guy that first talked to me about Alex from Target. And he, it was really fascinating when he reached out to me because I hadn't heard from him in like a year. I actually kind of forgot all about it because parody accounts just kind of went out of fashion, I feel like, on their own. They were still large, but they weren't pulling in the numbers of retweets they used to. And Cameron was telling me that basically it was open season on parody accounts and they were all being shut down for copyright by Twitter. So... Twitter says that they haven't done anything different. Right. They claim that they're not shutting down these parody accounts themselves. They're actually just responding to Digital Millennium Copyright Act requests, the DCMA request. And the best explanation for what is happening, I've heard. And if you are a person listening to this who has a theory about this, because really it is like, it is kind of weird how there's no official explanation for what's happening. But basically, Cameron Ace's account was shut down, and it had like 8 million-something followers. Like, m- these accounts with massive followings are being shut down. The best explanation I've heard, and if you've got a better one, email us, internetexplorer at buzzfeed.com. The best one I've heard is that after the Fat Jew controversy, Twitter is now responding to DCMAs the way they were always responding to them, but smaller parody accounts are basically making DCMA takedown requests against larger ones. I can imagine a situation where if you are Twitter, you're looking at the people who are writing fresh original material and you're like, these are really valuable users. They are people who are engaging with the platform. They are like other people are loving their jokes. They're doing stuff. They're creating interesting stuff. And here's these fucking parody accounts who are making money that has nothing to do with Twitter. Like they're making money off like external ad sales and they're just stealing, they're leeching off of the people who are actually using the platform correctly that we can also market to as customers. Um, let's get rid of the fucking parody accounts. Like let's let's treat the people who are the worthwhile users a little better. Now I have absolutely no information of that's actually what Twitter thought, but that's my theory of what might have gone through their heads in this sort of decision process that would be treating jokes like copyrighted material. This is something that good users had wanted um, and bad users were exploiting. So, yeah, I don't I don't really know what the answer is. I know that I like a Twitter without parody accounts. I mean, I feel absolutely no sadness for the loss of people who were making thousands of dollars by stealing other people's jokes on Twitter. You know, that I, 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 I shed no tears for that. Yeah. I mean, so the way it works and uh, let me, let me explain a little more in depth how this would work. So you would have a parody account, like tweet like a girl, which was Cameron Aces. And he would basically take things from around the internet, Tumblr, Reddit, Imager, other Twitter accounts that were smaller. 
he would put them on his massive accounts, retweet them all together like a chain. So it would all kind of boost its retweets. And then in between that, he would tweet out like things like movie trailers, uh, app downloads, uh, things that could be quantifiable in terms of how many clicks and impressions they were getting. And for those tweets, he was receiving $500 to $1,000 per tweet. And he was doing it like multiple times a day among amongst like a lot of accounts. So like yeah. you could easily make like like a professional salary doing this. Like you could easily make like 60 grand a year doing this. I would assume. And like that is a little nauseating when you think about the fact that all they're really doing is manipulating like a system and just like stealing. And, and the fat Jews like even worse cuz like he was making way more. I would say this. I have a little bit of sympathy-ish for the fat Jew. I mean, I think his defense is that he didn't really think what he was doing was that wrong. And it's because what he's doing is kind of uncharted territory and like there's no set rules. And Katie, imagine the idea of a feed of stolen content creating a media company is nauseating to me. Yeah, it makes me it makes me sick. But I mean, that's exactly it. Is that like I think that there is there is some truth to that. That like when you are doing like something new that hasn't really been done before on the internet, like some it's sort not of content clear. lab, right? Or it's not clear what the line is, and you learn the rules as you go along. And you know, exactly like BuzzFeed has also had that same sort of growing pains, like. There used to be very different ways that we, like, acquired content. And a lot of the time that meant (laughs) (laughs) there was maybe not as good attribution or sourcing on images as we do now because it was just at the time people just didn't think or care about it that much. Um, And there wasn't really a precedent for it. And now there is. And, you know, like, the, the line has become more clear. The rules have become more clear and you abide by them. When I interviewed these kids, what I got three different times, I asked Mm -hmm. each of them the same question and they gave me the same answer and I I don't think they planned this. I said like, you know, you're doing all this stolen content, you're making all this money, like why don't you you source it? Why don't you uh, attribute where it's coming from? Do you feel bad? And they, they all told me they're just doing what they saw BuzzFeed do growing up. They said that like three years ago when they were in high school, because like these kids are all like typically college kids. Yeah. They said when they were in high school, they got really hooked on a site called BuzzFeed, and BuzzFeed like basically, it, it it's I think of it as the scene from The Dark Knight where Batman comes down and he sees the other guy dressed like Batman in like the hockey pads, like yeah. getting the shit kicked out of them. And he's like, he's like, I want to be Batman, and then Batman's just like, You're not Batman, you're just some dick in hockey pads. Like <laughs> it was like the DIY BuzzFeed model kind of bizarre to me that we've been around long enough and the internet and social media has been around long enough that like kids are just like homebrewing a marketing agency in their like garage like that's like so dystopian and lame like I want the Blade Runner future I don't want the I DIY to marketing agency in my like fucking basement future yeah that that sucks and it's bad and it also I mean it makes me very sad like Batman what gives you the right what's the difference between you and me I'm not wearing hockey pants. Uh, you know, uh, Ryan, Ryan, what can we do? What can we do? This is the beginning. Like, 
the 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 purge of parody accounts is only the tip of the like I found a thing, stole a thing, made up a thing, faked a thing for money internet because like attention is money now. Like if you can make people mm-hmm. look at a thing enough times, that is almost more important than money uh, on the internet. And that's just amazingly frightening. <laughs> How much responsibility do you take for this? I Ryan? want this to keep happening because it keeps like I can write about it then. So like it's a, this it's an <laughs> ecosystem, right? Like the more people keep fucking up doing bad versions of this, the more right. Ryan has articles. It's to like write how about like it. a catfish is a bottom feeder that eats grime on the bottom of the ocean, and the parody accounts yeah. would be grime, and I would be the catfish, and then you would be the Appalachian man fisting my throat. Oh, noodling! You're talking about noodling. Yeah, yeah. That's- You're gonna noodle me. When you like stick your hand into like a catfish hole in the bog or whatever, and then I want you to fist my catfish hole. And then producer Julia is Julia's selling you the crystal meth that you smoke before you noodle my throat hole. Yeah, that's true. And I think that um, (laughs) Jenna Weisberman, who edited this episode, she's maybe the uh, person who buys the meth. And has all their teeth fall out. And then Eleanor yep. Kagan, elegant Eleanor Kagan, uh, she's the person eating the delicious catfish sandwich. It's complicated what's going in, but also Meg Kramer um, is the person who served the catfish sandwich. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm trying like to say that. is like thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. I feel like we tried to solve some problems, and we did not, Ryan. I feel like yeah. we did not. I think the main takeaway is if you have the option of starting a parody account on Twitter or getting high on Jenkum, you should definitely get high on Jenkum instead of starting a parody account. Learn from me and Ryan. Stealing content is bad. We, BuzzFeed's Internet Explorer, would never violate copyright. <laughs> Internet Explorer is here to tell you. Um, <laughs> Internet Explorer is here to tell you to smoke Jenkum and don't violate copyright. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. That's what the Nicki Minaj song Cocoa Butter is about. It's no, not tru- called Truffle, truffle butter. butter. Oh my truffle God. Butter, I'm, an I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Wow. You, you know what? You know what, Ryan? I'm not very hip. Go. I don't. I don't know. My what. ultimate revenge is that I'm not going to edit that out, and you're just going to forever know that you yeah. said that. <laughs>